up, guys? Welcome to Competitors Podcast with your hosts, Matt Strautrick and myself, Peter Fenura. This is a podcast where we tackle current events and hot nutrition topics, one conversation at a time. Remember, guys, give us a follow, download episodes, make sure you guys rate us those five stars. Check us out on YouTube. We're pretty good-looking individuals. I think we're pretty cool. And make sure you guys also rate us on YouTube and leave some comments, guys. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know what you guys want to hear. Let us know what we're doing wrong. If you see something incorrectly, let us know. Correct us. Exactly. And Peter has beautiful hair in this freaking podcast video. So make sure you guys check out his hair. And I think he deserves a five star just for that beautiful hair he has. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm trying to, you know, get some new hair products in. It's it's a joke. I don't. I just use shampoo and conditioner. Hey, sometimes you got to use a little product, man. I I do it myself. Sometimes a product that I've used is the anti-frizz one. Sometimes my hair is all over the place, man. But it's a long hair thing. You don't understand, Peter. I don't. Anti-frizz, like it makes your hair less frizzy? Or what, what issue does it solve? I think the issue is anti-curl, where it prevents curls from forming. But my hair is curly, so I don't know, man. It just helps it keep in place, bro. Is your hair curly? I thought your hair was always always straight. When it's short, when it's short, it's usually straight. Um, as, I, as I get longer and I'm doing the whole Jesus look, it's getting a little bit more curly, man. Interesting. All right, well, it's enough about hair. What are we talking about today, Matt? So today's episode, guys, we're going to give you guys some great detail, great advice about finances, how to manage them, how to be successful in the finance world. And we're also going to talk about processed foods. A lot of people disassociate with, you know, highly processed process. And let's find that sweet medium in between. We'll tell you guys what exactly is processed, what you should avoid and what you should eat. I feel like we talk about eating and food a lot, but we're breaking down into little subcategories and we're going to focus on processed, highly processed. So what does process mean? One would obviously ask. So process is anything that has to be mechanically or chemically altered or has additives, you know, just for taste or for any kind of kind of purpose. So if, you know, when you're getting meat, if it's, if it's not a chunk of meat, if it has more than one or two ingredients, it's usually going to be processed. So you could take a look at the difference between like actual piece of meat, let's say like a pork shoulder compared to like your pork breakfast sausage, like the pork shoulder, it's one big slab of meat. So that's not processed compared to your pork breakfast sausage, where it's in the little plastic wrapping and, you know, it stays on the shelf for a very long time. And that's considered processed. And sometimes I like to think of processed foods as look at the ingredients, compare uh, mac and cheese to an orange. Very simple, right? Of course, the mac and cheese is natural. And the reason, the reason being is let's look at whole foods versus processed foods. So whole foods is Anything that's in its organic form when it was technically, you want to say, born, grown, raised, whatever it is, uh, an orange that's picked from the tree is an organic form orange, one ingredient, orange, and you're going to eat it that way. When it comes to processed foods, they, just like Peter said, mechanically alter these things, and you're not eating it in the organic form that it was um, grown. So, uh, A good way to, to think about this is, Look at a food that you know that you're thinking about getting, and think if you can make it at home. So let's say you want a burgers. You can either buy a pre-made burger that's frozen in like a carton that has a pack of eight, or you can make it at home with just buying beef and then adding seasoning to it. So that's that's your diff- That's how differentiate between something that's processed and not because what's not processed is going to be you actually making a burger at home and adding your components to it: the salt, pepper whatever oregano or whatever seasoning you like compared to the frozen burger where it's been 
a lot of additives just to make it last longer and just to make it taste better. Yeah, you literally have to be like a like a Nazi and every single label, whatever you're purchasing a store, you got to turn it around and you got to look at it, read it and like see what's going on. Even when it comes to like uh, dressings, let's talk about dressings. I hate to buy like ranch and all that stuff. I, I look at everything and I try to avoid vegetable oils. And also they add a lot of these different gums and different things to add a little bit more texture. You want to get the most organic form possibly with whatever organic is in your definition. Cause that's like a very skewed word that's just thrown around. You know what I mean? Even when it comes to purchasing like ketchup guys, ketchup, I love ketchup. That's why I'm going to talk about it. Anywhere I go to restaurants, I try to avoid ketchup because I turn the label around and it says freaking hot fructose corn syrup. So I prefer always buying ketchup that says organic on it. And then I still look at the label and I make sure the ingredients are only like, you know, tomatoes, salt, and sugar. I prefer sugar over that high fructose corn syrup because as you know, it doesn't get digested properly. We talked about my studies before how they're more prone to cancer. They're more to, you know, they're more prone to gaining weight. So just avoid that stuff completely. And the thing is, in not modern society, you can't fully eat non non-processed. And that's that's completely okay. The key thing is to minimize it because like something that considered processed that are you know not that, that bad for you. It's like Greek yogurt, you know, almond butter, those kind of things. They are considered processed, but they're not the worst things in the world. So it's really hard for somebody to stick with just eating not processed food because this day and age, you know, things are are unavoidable. Like if we didn't have processed foods, we wouldn't be able to get certain things, certain foods here during the winter or during during the summer or during the springtime because we all know that different food grows in different climates and the way this food gets transported or the way this this food has a shelf life is because of these additives. So it's not necessarily the worst thing in the, in the world, but the key thing is to try to try to minimize it, try to avoid like saturated fats, trans fats, hydrogenated oils, just, just things like that. Like we understand that these are, are completely unavoidable. Like you are going to eat processed food, but the key thing to get out of this is just to minimize it. And if it's getting processed, at least try to make it more, I guess, a more healthier processed food. Yeah. And what like these companies do is it's all about shelf life, guys. Like it's all about profit at the end of the day. So what they do is when it comes to like trans fats and what I don't like is what I found out after researching for this topic is that if it's less than 0.5 grams, they don't have to label it as trans fat. They could say trans fat free, correct? And that's, that's messed up because there's still some trans fats in it. And what they do is they chemically alter these hydrogen ions or hydrogen bonds to alter them to be hydro generated. And what happens is it increases shelf life. So that product looks as beautiful as it was when it, you know, came out of the conveyor belt or whatever the case might be. That's BS, man. It's very unfair. I think about it. It's, it's a half gram per serving. So imagine if that container has, you know, four servings, then you're technically eating two grams of, of trans fat. If, because nutrition label obviously shows just, just per serving. Correct. So, you know, that's, it's very unfair. And imagine if you're, if it has 0.5 and they don't record it because they're not required by law and you eat the full four servings, you got two grams. And then plus another thing that it also has, you know, 0.5 that's not labeled. You have two servings of that and you get three. So it's actually, it's very, I think it's very sneaky, very unfair. And it's messed up how our government is not in our own best self-interest to help us with that. Or like the FDA, like it's all like, it's like the pharmaceutical companies, man. It's all like free reign. Like look at like, Garrett, for example, why don't you just tell me exactly how much sodium is in the damn whole bottle? Instead, they break it down like, hey, it's one point or 2.25 servings. So now I got to figure out, oh, shit, I'm actually 
tripling up on my sodium intake without even realizing it just because most people, the average consumer just looks at the label and says, okay, I'm good to go. Only 175 milligrams of sodium. So one thing I do want to address while I on this topic is, is the concept of these, these meatless vegan burgers. If you're vegan, it's com- completely okay. You know, you, whatever you want to eat, but make sure you just do it in, in a healthy manner. But you got to understand that these, these vegan burgers or these meatless burgers aren't necessarily the most healthy, healthiest things in the world either. Because a lot of times these vegan burgers, they got to alter these, these plants that they're putting in there to make it taste like a burger. Because a lot of times these, meat, these plant-based burgers taste like an actual beef burger. So what do you think they're actually getting that taste from? It's not a natural taste that occurs in plants. It's with, it's with the additives. A lot of times they have a high amount of sodium and sometimes even burgers having more saturated fats than, than plain old beef or, or turkey or, or, or ground chicken. You know? So you still have to be mindful of your label. Just because you're eating something that's labeled vegan or, or plant-based or just not a plant, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be healthy for you. It's probably maybe healthier for the environment, not necessarily healthier for you. That's why it's really important to look at these nutrition labels because even though you're not consuming any, any, any beef or any chicken, but you still might have having you still might get a lot of saturated fats, a lot of sodium, and then now you might even get the 0.5 of the trans fats. You're you're completely right. I try to follow a regimen where I try to do whole foods right. I'm I'm not vegan or I'm not like carnivore diet. And I don't try to label myself like that. I just try to eat whole foods. So like one meal, I'll make some chicken, which is one ingredient. I'll cut up some like vegetables to it. I'll do like let's just say I'll do like a little saute of onions, some green onions some peppers, things like that. I'll make like a little fajita type of dish. I'll add some asparagus into that where I could cut up some sweet potatoes, bake them up. Those are all whole foods, all single ingredients, guys. You just got to like, it just has to become habit. Just like we always talk about, like you just have to be conscious of what you're eating. And then of course you could throw in the little processed food in there. Like if you want your little barbecue sauce in there, because it's just added taste, go for it. But at least your main dish, your main meal is whole food, which is ultimately based on research, it's known to be the most beneficial for you. Right. And just because the label says organic or, or natural doesn't necessarily mean what you think it might mean. Just because it says natural or organic doesn't mean that it's not going to have any of these added preservatives or, you know, these antibiotic in- injected animals. It's, it, these labels really, if it comes down to it, if you actually look it up online what these labels actually mean, they don't really mean natural or organic. They have, they have their own, definition of what these companies consider organic or or natural right all right matthew how you doing you're correct i just had a little <laughs> sip of coffee there and it's kind of bs too for those that don't know is like most of these studies that are published on the internet that the companies that are having this product they're funding these studies so like if you got i don't know who owns snickers and reese's and all that i'm sure it's like one or two companies probably kellogg or something okay so let's just say kellogg they don't want people to know that sugar is bad for you. So what what are they going to do? They're going to go after a different industry. They're going to fund studies to promote, hey, meat is bad for you or dairy, limit dairy. They're, they're going to hide sugar as long as possible away from us till we finally find out as a society that's freaking killing us. Remember, guys, a few years ago, fats were considered horrible for you and everybody did everything they can to get rid of fats out of their food. And what did they substitute for the fats? Sugar. You know, and then we found out that sugar is actually more harmful than the actual unsaturated fats that you get from food. Because we, we learned that hormones like your estrogen or testosterone, those are derived from, from fats that you get outside of the body. So that's, and 
it's completely true what Matt's saying. These companies, they were using a lot of sugar, and that was their key ingredient. So, hey, let's not, let's not make sugar look bad. Let's try to make something else look bad. So you're being fat. You're getting fat. You're getting weight because the food contains fat. Well, that's not true. It was because that sugar. Yeah, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. Even these documentaries that are on Netflix, man, they all look very, very enticing. One of them is like, what the hell? You remember me and PD and like a group of friends, we watched a documentary in Colorado. We went vegan for like damn six good months on and off, let's just say. Stopped eating foods that were actually whole foods and we replaced it with too much carbs. Oreos were vegan and we just, it just fell off the trend, man. So anything that you're watching on Netflix, if it's game changers and eat the vegan diet, the carnivore diet, just take everything with a grain of salt. Our bodies are so freaking beautiful. This organism that we're embodied in is, we're all different. One diet is not one size fit all for everybody. So just start figuring out what your body likes. And that that's one thing I actually want to do is I want to take that um, genetic test where um, they check my poop sample just to kind of figure out what my gut bacteria actually likes, you know? Do you know how they used to test for diabetes back in the day? No. They had somebody that they thought was diabetic. They would have um, pee in a cup, and then they would have somebody drink the pee. And if it was sweet, you're considered diabetic. No way. Yeah. That's in, that's interesting. I, I'm definitely we're definitely gonna do an episode about old remedies that kind of fell off. Um, that's that's gonna we're gonna keep this in mind. Let's roll with um being financially stable. We as nurses, we finish new grad. We get those nice paychecks. We get a little bit happy because nursing school sucked ass. We start spending money. We start spending money, getting debt, getting a car, getting a mortgage, whatever the case might be. But what do we do is we level up on a financial level where we're making more per paycheck, but our lifestyle catches up and we're on the same boat that we just left, which is freaking screwed in that revolving door paying debt, man. So I know Petey's great at finances. He's actually my little mentor when it comes to investing stocks, but I'm still in the, in the learning phases of starting to actually um, do stocks. Yeah, what people usually do when they graduate school is they get that nice check and then and they go spend it, which I think is is okay. You know, you deserve a reward for all your hard work, like your four plus years years of school. You know, definitely spend that that paycheck on yourself. You know, take the time to you know give yourself a reward. But the key thing to take away is to not keep doing that every every paycheck. Like eventually, enough has to be enough. You can't just keep acquiring these items, these these things, gadgets, clothes, or whatever you're spending money on. Because that's not always sustainable because then it might be good for a short term, but then you're always chasing money. Then, you, then you're wondering like, hey, why do I only have like $5 in my bank account? It's because you keep spending it and you're always, you're always chasing it. And you pile on more credit card debt on top of your current credit card debt plus your student loans. So it's it's important to treat yourself, but also have have a limit. And that's kind of uh, what people like fall through with 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 the kind of having a limit because they just see the same amount coming in and they just say, hey, I'm 25 years old. I'm 26 years old. I have a whole life ahead of me. I'm just going to spend it now and then I'll save later. And that's not really a good thing to do with your money. It's also a problem where we're on social media, we're watching TV. Everywhere we go, everything is based on consumerism. So, dude, it's so hard to tell somebody don't spend money when your Alexa is listening to you, your phone is listening to you, and then you get freaking ads based on what you look at. And it's like, dude, it's constant evolving door of getting you to buy something, man. It's freaking rough. And they and they do a good job at it because you're you're nest, you're buying on emotion. So if you really want something, so what I do when I want something cool, like I don't know, a new, I guess I don't know, 
We want an example. I'm waiting for an example. What do you want to buy, Peter? I want to buy a new Lego set. You know, uh, go to the store. Damn, I just watched Star Wars. I wanted to buy this this giant Star Wars Lego set that's like two hundred fifty dollars. You know, I could I could buy it then and there. But what I would do if you're a conscious shopper, you would go home. Like you know that just because it's in the store, it means mostly available everywhere else online. So to kind of deflect your emotions is leave that item there, go home, wait a few days. And if that item is still on your mind, then you're probably going to buy it no matter what. But for majority of us, the thought of the item kind of goes away. Why? Because you're at the store and it mostly makes you happy. Like, damn, that's so cool. I want to get that. And you kind of get caught in your emotions and you end up buying it on emotion. Compared to if you, if you go home, you have you think about it the whole drive there. It's like, should I buy this one if it's not set or should I just just wait till you know goes on sale or do I really need this? Do I have, have even room to put this somewhere? It's something I need. And then you kind of think about it and drive home and you realize, hey, I could probably buy something else. Or you're just like, hey, I I, I don't need this. I was gonna buy it, but decide not to. And that's that's kind of how you get away with, or that's how you get away from buying on emotion. It's kind of just leaving the item there and coming back to it in a few days. And if you really need it or if you really want it, then you can buy it. But actually, but give yourself a self some time to actually think this process through. So most of our audience are females. I think over fifty percent plus, maybe close to like sixty percent. You don't need those damn shoes. You don't need those damn shoes. I understand you're going to look good in that dress, but just put it away for now. Just buy it next week or two weeks. But what happens is I feel like at least when I talk to women, they're more emotional. So it's harder to tell a, a, a woman to be like, hey, don't purchase that in that given moment, man. That emotion is probably so strong that they end up purchasing things. And I, and I see that amongst like um, other – I feel like even my mom, for example. Dude, she re- she returns so many things that she purchases. And I see it amongst a lot of females. Like, why does that happen where you purchase it and then you don't like it or you change your mind or it doesn't work? I don't know, man. It's interesting psychology. We should have a female guest on here to explain the psychology of shopping. I have no idea. Usually when I buy something, I hardly ever give it back because when I buy something, it's usually I need it. And it's something that, that I usually really want. Like, I, I rarely return stuff because... If I'm gonna, if, if I'm not sure, if I'm 50 50 on the fence, I, I don't get it. Because then if if I buy it and I don't want it in the next couple of days, then now I gotta go to the whole process of returning. Then I gotta drive back to the store or I gotta go to UPS, go to FedEx, get a shipping label. That, that, just, that just adds more time for me to, me to do stuff that I really don't feel like doing you know, in the future. So if I really don't need it, if I think I don't need it, I, I usually don't get it. What did, just what because, did you, hmm, what's up? What did you purchase for the first time when you finished like nursing school? Did you spoil yourself? No, I don't think I did. I don't think I buy anything fancy. Okay, I'm just wondering. I spent money, but not on myself. I was a little selfless. And it was my parents' um, 25th anniversary. So I ended up purchasing them cruise tickets and flights. So I spent like five grand on not on myself. But they deserved it, of course, because they were helping me financially with school and everything else. Yeah, it's a very nice, nice gesture. So guys, instead of buying those six pairs of shoes, ladies, just wait a few months to buy your parents a nice vacation to, to Jamaica. And then also when it comes to financial stability, right? So we talked about habits kind of of how to shop, how to smart shop, but there's also a lot of things you could do for the employers. So the question is, is do you have your 401k set up? And I'm going to be a little bit biased here because I've switched employers with travel nursing and I'm just starting my 401k set up. So I waited three months. That's unfortunate for me, but anybody that's doing that, make sure you get your 401k and make, make sure you're Make sure you put in as much as your company could match you, correct? So if it's 3%, do that full 3% so that company could give you that 3%. Sometimes, unfortunately, though, when it comes to 401k, 
there's um, commitment issues. So for example, for me, I left my hospital prior. They wanted me to stay there for five years till they could match that full, full benefit of 401k. I kind of took the leap of faith. I'm like, I'm not going to wait till my 65 year old self is going to get all that money. I'll just figure it out now. But that's an option, of course. Yeah, always. You always want to make sure to put down what they match in you and then then plus a little more. Even though, though your employer is going to max you out at like the 3% or, or 4%, you're at least getting that 4% on top of your already, the 4% you're putting in. So always do as much as they, they contribute max. And like, man, I'm not sure. So now are you doing like a private 401k or are you doing it um, just through your agency? So I'm going to do it through my agency, but currently my 401k is just sitting on my old job. So I, I, I just haven't touched it. Now with my health insurance ending, because I have to purchase it. So for this contract, I'm setting up 401k and I'm setting up um, health insurance. Okay. Yeah, it's smart. You know, three months isn't really that big of a time if you, if you think about it. But does the agency match you too now? I haven't gotten to those details. I told my recruiter to send me an email regarding everything. I'm going to see what's going to happen. But I'd have to travel nurse for quite some time to actually see that. And what if I'm taking a break from this company over summer for three months? Like I'm not going to get anything at, for my 401k. So it's it's a plus minus when it comes to travel nursing and having a 401k. True. Understandable. Yeah. But for you guys out there with just like a staff job at a hospital, you guys should definitely put as much as you can in your 401k. And the, the key probably thing about this is to put a higher percentage in when you first start. So when you get your first job, instead of just putting the 4% that they match you, put like 10% or 15%. That's really good because you're getting used to spending the amount of money that you have, you know, so you're putting away 15% plus the 4% that they're matching you and you'll be working with what the 85% that they have left. So that's kind of smart because you're going to spend less because technically you have less income coming in into your bank and you're putting more towards your 401k. So you're going to be prone to spend less money. Love it. Love it. Devil's advocate here. So a lot of people get out of school since we're talking to nursing students and people our age for the most part, people are going to get out of college mostly with debt. And what happens is if you got like 50K, let's just say 25K, you are going to be forced to pay an interest rate, right? Some my interest rate, for example, my federal loans was like 4.66%. So sometimes it's smart to put less money into your 401k and instead focus more on paying off that debt. Because a lot of people don't know, like once you start doing the calculations, for example, on my car note, correct? When I break down the math of how much I'm paying, I'm paying like $2 and like 65 cents a day just for interest that I'm losing out just because I own a loan. So do the math. And if you feel like your college loan or it could be mortgage is crippling you, then stop worrying about, you know, being 65 and having a 401k and focus on paying off that debt that's freaking weighing you down currently when you break it down to a day-to-day basis. Know your interest rates, guys. And the key is to pay the highest interest rate off first because that's the one that's getting the the most most interest, you know. So I know credit card debt, that's usually like your high interest. I think some of them are like 16% some people have on credit cards. And that and that's insane. And the key takeaway from credit cards is I know there's a lot of a lot of people are completely against credit cards because they they cause debt. You know, they don't they don't they don't really cause they don't cause debt. You just gotta be able to pay them off. You know, in in full because if you don't pay it off in full, full you get in charge charge interest. So the way I, me and Matt use our credit cards is like a debit card. Except the benefit of using a credit card instead of a debit card is you you build points of about for like five percent cash back or two percent cash back and so on, which is a lot better than having nothing on your debit card. But the key thing is 
pay off your credit cards first because they have the high, highest interest rate and also pay them off often full. That way you're not gaining any kind of interest. Don't just pay the minimum balance because then you're kind of just adding on to this, this pile of, of money that you're eventually going to have to pay off. So spend the money that you only have. So if you have 200 in the bank, you know, in your checking account and you want to buy something for 150 with your credit card, buy it with a credit card, but then pay it off in full completely and be mindful of what's actually in your checking. So spend what's in your checking, but use it with a credit card. That way you kind of know exactly how much you're spending and how much you have left. Dude. Yeah, man. Points and credit cards are awesome. Like I pay my stuff up off in full, of course. And like every year I'll have like 500 bucks, like cash back that I could use on things or buy something for that, or just put it in my uh, checkings account. A lot of people that don't know credit cards. Yes. If you are one of those people, I call them a revolver because you keep coming back and forth, spitting in the door. If you have a thousand dollars and you just paid a minimum payment, if you could have a credit card that has zero APR the first year, kudos to you, but you might develop a bad habit of paying minimum payments and then they'll freaking get you at next year. What happens is if you have 23% APR on a credit card, that thousand dollars next month, if you pay, let's just say 35 bucks, you'll get like, let's just say 970 out of that 23%. So you, next month, your bill is going to be like $1,200 to pay off. That's how they freaking get you guys. And then you do another minimum payment. And then let's do 23% of that $1,200. And boom, boom, boom. Those money bags are stacking for those credit card companies, baby. You don't want them to be doing that. Matt's about to open up a credit card bureau over the next, next couple of years here. 25% interest, yeah. everybody. Yeah, I'm going to get all these student nurses. Don't worry. I'll pay off your student loans. And then I'll just tax them up really high, man. That's how, that's how they get you guys. Why do you think when like you're in like nursing school, you're like in college in general, you have all these discover cards coming in the mail. Hey, we could help you pay your student loans or take a loan with us. Like, dude, it's just targeting young people that are unaware of how the, you know, like financial intelligence. Do you want to call it financial intelligence? Sure. Absolutely. So financial intelligence, like they don't teach this shit in school. Like we don't, we don't learn how to write paychecks, unfortunately, or how to write a check, how to balance a checkbook. But we're all good with, you know, bling, bling and nice shoes and spending. Like that's what's messed up, man. We're, we're being taught to be consumers. We're not learning how to financially be smart, how to screw the system a little bit, man, because Uncle Sam loves their pockets. He sure does, man. He's been loving pockets. You know, he's been loving that money in your pockets. He would take it every chance he gets. Well, since Matt's talking about spending and consumerism, the best way to actually figure out how much you're spending and what you're spending it on is to make like a, like a monthly budget. Actually, look at your credit card statement. Look at how much you're spending on, on food, on clothing, on, on bills. And then you can make a spreadsheet or there's like apps. There are certain apps where you just plug in your credit card information in, into this app and it breaks down your spending. Because if, you know, because we all see the current balance on your, you know, on your Chase app or whatever, that's like $300. And you're like, fine, yeah, I'll just pay $300. But when you actually get a breakdown of, of what that $300 goes to, you'd be pretty surprised. Like maybe you ate out a lot this month and, you know, 150 once you're eating out. You're just like, holy shit, I just spent 150 bucks on, on eating out. That's, that's a lot. You know? And you don't, really, you don't see that when you just pay your statements or you actually use the apps or make a, make a spreadsheet on how much you're actually spending on, on what. It's kind of it's really drastic how people spend on, on eating out and certain things like, like clothing. It's like, like, you know, like you may think you kind of went light this month and didn't do a lot of spending. But then when you look at this breakdown, you're just like, damn, I spend more on clothing this month than the last month, or I ate out more this month than the last month. And it's, you actually have to get a visual of how much you're spending on what, instead of just having that, that one pretty number. 
So Clarity Money is an awesome app that you could use. And there's a few of them. There's Acorn. There's all this little shit, right? So the, th these apps will help you kind of break down monthly what's going on. What I do when I travel nurse, I literally have an Apple Notes section. And I go from week one to week 13. And I write down every single little transaction that I have. It sounds a little tedious. But every two, three days, I sit down and look at my city card. Because I only use one credit card. And I just start dropping numbers down. So every paycheck I get Friday, I, I add up the totals for the week. I figure out how much I, I'm spending and I'm figuring out how much I'm making. And then I'm able to kind of gauge, hey, you know, I'm making $500 profit a week. Let, let's crank that up a little bit. Or, okay, I could spoil myself and get something. So I do week to week because technically travel nursing for me is a financial trip. That's how I've labeled. It's in my finance section and I'm making sure I'm coming out positive to the best of my ability. Plus, I'm travel nursing alone. So I'm spending all that rent money. Like here in Cali, man, you're paying like 2K plus rent. That's a lot of money for myself that's hurting my stipends. So I'm trying to maximize every little thing I could get. So definitely monthly budget, plan, be strategic, get an app, Excel spreadsheet, use notes, just figure out what, what's going on. Or, sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but this is good. My, my juices are flowing also look at reoccurring payments that are happening on a month to month. Like let's just say you're paying for Netflix, then you're paying for Spotify, then you're paying for a gym membership. Maybe you're spending money on tanning. Um, women, women listeners, how much, how often are you getting your nails done? What are, what are you doing? That's the self care routine. Sometimes with monthly reoccurring payments could be maybe cut down or you could kind of, you know, minimize them to kind of maximize your monthly profits. Could have said it any better yourself, my man. I couldn't have said it any better myself, Matt. And then I must have got you in a tongue twister there with your brain. You know, I was just, you know, I was just being so mindful and just listening to what you had to have to say. You know, I just, you know, I got, I got caught snoozing, I guess, or I got caught, you know, zoning out. But Hopefully, no one bumped into a car while driving. Or make sure you stop on your red lights, guys. Look at the road. Exactly. And then when you're on a red light, don't look at your phone because oh, it's going to eventually turn green, and then you're going to have me behind you honking at you because that's one of the most only things in the world. But since you're talking about, you know, come out on a positive, you, when you come out on a positive, that doesn't mean that, hey, you should just go spend it every month. You know, there's a lot of people don't have, you could say, like emergency funds. So when you come out on a positive, try to get your emergency fund ready. That's usually like three months of, of income just in case something were to happen. Maybe you, you, you get sick or your parents get sick or you break your leg or something happens at work or you lose your job, you have like a three-month cushion. Because, you know, things do happen unexpectedly and, you know, you don't want to be kind of cut short financially because that's going to add on stress. You know, it's your burnout is being stressed with the outside world compared to just being stressed with the outside world plus financially. If you could ease your financial burden during a stressful time, that's going to be a lot healthier for you. You, you do need that cushion, man. And that's the cushion that I'm working on now when I'm taking a break from travel nursing for three to four months when I'm going to be back in Chicago. I want to make sure I have some cushion money just in case if I can't get a job right away or I'm working peer DM and I'm not making as much just so everything works out. When you have your emergency fund, you're also going to start getting savings. And, you know, let's just say you're being smart. You have money. It's sitting in the bank. So the traditional way is to let the money sit in the bank and you'll get some recurrent uh, money for it or whatever the word is. And it's, it's chump change. So if you're financially managing properly, you're becoming smart, you're acing it, start investing. You could do a lot of things with the money that's just sitting there. 
But of course, you have to be willing to lose it. So don't just throw money out for no reason. And you're fucking broke as hell eating ramen noodles, guys. Don't be doing that. And I like ramen noodles, but, but yeah, long term. Isn't it highly processed, Peter? It is high processed. So I was going to say, you know, a long term eating of, you know, ramen probably isn't isn't the, the best choice of, you know, nutrition. But I like my ramen, especially like the because I remember back in the day, there was like three flavors. There was like chicken, beef, and then original or vegetable. Now that you got all these different Asia flavors, this like orange chicken ramen. It's so good, man. I haven't had ramen in a while, but I remember when I went to a store a couple of days ago, I was like, damn, they have like a whole aisle devoted to ramen. There's so much flavor. It's like cereal, all kinds of cereal, dude, all kinds of ramen. It's, it's insane. Is there yeah. only one, is there only one brand? I'm not into ramen. So I'm asking of ramen. No, I mean, I haven't had ramen for a while, but no, there's like different brands of ramen. Okay. I, th- I think there's a bunch of different flavors. I'm sure there's more than one, one company. Yeah, so like now I'm saying, so you're financially stable. So now kind of what do you do with your money? Like savings account is probably the simplest thing. You kind of just go to your bank, open a savings account, and let your money just sit there. But that's usually the lowest kind of interest. And that's kind of where you should keep your emergency fund. You always have access to it. But there's different kind of accounts you can make. There's um, money market account, which is kind of like a savings account, but it requires you to have a certain amount of money. So some of them require you to have like, five thousand dollars you know and they limit you on how much transactions you can make so you can't you can only have like 10 transactions within like a six month period so they limit you more but it has does provide a little bit of a of a higher interest which is kind of beneficial if you're kind of not doing anything with, with that money there's also something called uh, uh cds or i think they call it cdls as well that's provides even more interest but your restrictions are you got to keep an x amount of money for an x length of time so sometimes they would say you got to keep $10,000 for one year, I'll give you this much interest and you're not allowed to touch that money. If you do touch that that, that money, they usually get like a penalty and you know that's not something you, you want to do. And of course, the longer you keep this money in there, the higher the interest rate. So the interest rate for a five-year $10,000 is going to be higher than you know keeping your money there for two years or, or for one year. And then I guess the next thing we have here is real estate, which I mean, I haven't done, I don't really do much real estate because I'm not I don't have that much funds to go around, but people do invest in real estate and they invest in like commercial property or they invest in a house that they could remodel or someone could remodel for them. And then they you know, sell it for more. But I feel like that's more of like a time consuming me job. But I know there's apps out there that allow you to invest in real estate without having any kind of uh, management role in it. You kind of just give them the money and they disperse it. Um, amongst like contracts and you know you're just want to provide the money they do all the managing they do all the contract discussions things like that um real i'm not sure what i'm not sure what the app is, app is called but yeah real estate is kind of like a second job if you had to do it it's definitely gold man it's like the gold standard if you have capital it's the best investment because it's something that won't disappear most properties depends where you buy them are only going to increase in value and i'm starting to realize in myself dude like you know i i lived in a condo i'm travel nursing now I'm renting out my place on Airbnb and I'm making money off it. Like me thinking now is like what I'm going to do since we're, we could talk a little bit about what we personally do because we didn't talk about it this episode. So when it comes to real estate, like I'm thinking like, shit, I could literally make money off Airbnb, double up on my mortgage payment, pay it off in a year or whatever the case might be, and then have that financial independence where I could put some money away and invest in another property. And then I, then the property that's paid off is paying the mortgage off this one and I'm going to be making some money for myself from the second one. 
And what, it, what do smart people do? They just keep their head down. They don't buy that freaking awesome car. Or they don't spend more, more money on clothes. They continue the same lifestyle, get a little bit more capital, get a three or four more properties, and shit, you could just leave nursing if you want to and have some financial independence. Yeah, true. But I mean, we make it sound so easy. It's not, you know, it's not just like, hey, you buy property and, and you rent it out. And then, hey, you know, everything's good. You buy another one. And hey, everything's great as well. You just don't know what's going to happen. It's not just like, hey, you, you buy property and you make money off it. You actually got to do the math. You got to calculate how much your, your mortgage is going to be. Is, are the tenants going to be paying the utilities? Are you paying the utilities? How much is, is the association? And you got to incorporate taxes. How much does that cost? And you got... You got homeowners insurance to, to work with. So it's not necessarily like, hey, you just spend $400,000. You take a $400,000 $400, loan and then you pay the forty k down and then rest, you know, you just cash in the money. It's not how it works. There's a lot more attributed to this. Otherwise, it would be so easy and anybody will be doing it. You know, this actually takes time and you can't just buy a property and expect to make money out of it. Like think about like the, the housing bubble, the housing crash happened a few, few years back. You know, nobody was able, able to predict that. And look at that houses that devalued like 25% if, if not more. And it's not just like, Hey, you buy a property and it makes money for you. It's there's more goes into it than that. Of course, Peter's break, Peter's shining perspective here. I don't want you guys to go take out 50 K and buy a home right now thinking you'll make money off it. A lot of people have dreams, but those dreams come with smart, actionable goals, breaking it down and, you know, planning properly. Like even when it comes to travel nursing, those people that are interested, like what, before you sign a contract, you better find out how much you're spending money on housing, how much money you have to spend on the lifestyle here. Do all that math because a lot of nurses, and I talk to my recruiter, they don't they don't come out positive sometimes, man. Their lifestyle catches up and they're losing money on the road when it technically should be for some extra money. That's how it is, guys. So if you're gonna, you know, it's your money, you don't want to lose it. So, you know, if you're if you don't want to do high risk, don't do high risk. Just put it in like an account somewhere and you know, have it do your work or you know, have go and speak to somebody like an investment firm that you know could possibly invest for you because you know don't take five hundred bucks, don't take a grand, don't take however much money you're willing to offer, but just make sure that you know the interest that they charge doesn't overlap how much you're actually making. So I guess the next one is, is stocks. Um, that's the one I do on occasion, and that's kind of I feel like you could do stocks, you know, just while I work as a nurse because it's not the hardest thing in the world. But you also you know that's more of a high risk. So if you're older. You might want to invest in something less, less volatile, less risky. Or if you do want to do stocks, there's there's high risk and there's a lower stocks, which you know, quick Google search can can teach you all all you need to know about stocks. And when, when you're investing in stocks, because let's just say I'm completely new to this, you got to start doing some research on the companies. So you start looking at what like what their earnings are. I'm I'm not gonna tell you to teach uh, podcast listeners on how to freaking read a graph and how to predict things, but like just a general idea. If you could summarize it in one minute, how do you make those choices on where to put your money? I mean, I don't know if I can summarize it in a minute. Um, I mean, do, I, haven't, me. I, haven't, I haven't bought any new stocks besides, like, I guess, Peloton. But uh, if you, I mean, just, I can't really summarize it in a minute. There's more than a minute worth of research. You kind of just look up how the company is doing and what, what they say their future outlook is. And if you think their future outlook is, is good, then, and then I guess essentially you would invest in them. But, you know, you're not really sure where that kind is going. I don't know where that kind is going. It takes more than you know, just you know, looking at their financials. You gotta kind of have an idea of what they're actually trying to do in the future and see if it's actually working in, in reality. And you gotta listen to their, their conference calls. They every quarter, they 
they do a phone call with investors and, and the public and they answer questions. And by law, publicly traded company requires them to release a financial statement. So you got you to look through those. It, it takes time. It takes time. Um, but just like I said, go on Google. There's Investopedia that you look that you can look at. Then you know if you're feeling lucky, read through some stuff and just throw like 500 bucks and hopefully you know it grows. And usually that should be like your play money. If you're not sure what you're doing with the money, just set aside like a small budget and make that like your, your play money. So see, that was a good minute of summary, man. I like it. Definitely be willing to lose that money if you're going to be doing stocks. So the last one that's on the list, and I think it's probably the most important thing, is investing in yourself. That's probably the best financial thing you could do because once you invest in yourself, that trait, that skill set, whatever you're doing is not going to disappear. You getting a bachelor's of science in nursing is an investment. That was the best investment you did because now you're making 70K or whatever it is a year. What if it's another skill they want to develop? What if it's graphic designing? Let's just say you want to start a podcast. Well, you're going to pay for a course. And me and Petey did that too, right? To just kind of find out you're, you're paying the initial investment to learn a skill and then you go and shine to the world. You, it's becoming a YouTuber. Why don't you learn how to use the camera, learn how to use the audio and invest, investing, becoming a yoga instructor, pay the initial investment, invest in learning how to do yoga, practice, go get clients, go teach classes. Financial investing in yourself is probably the smartest thing you could do in 2020, whatever your skill set might be. Whatever you enjoy. If it's a hobby, go do it. Go learn it. Go try it. And if you fail, so be it. You got to you know, crawl before you walk, guys. So you might mess up a few times before you find a trait or find a skill set that's creating money for you. Money spent on yourself to gain knowledge is, is money probably the, the best spent. Whatever, whatever everything that Matt said is probably it's the, it's the nail on the head. It's, I kind of said it better myself. It's a great summary. And yeah. The best investment you could do is to invest in yourself because it doesn't mean it has to be for, fin for financial gain. Maybe you just like taking a class. Just go ahead, take a class. Like you, you're losing, you're losing some money that you can make up in, in the future. You know, so and you're gaining the knowledge. Maybe you like your, like Matt said, maybe like a hobby, and you're just capitalizing on a hobby and making a growth. That's completely fine, guys. But just spend it on, don't spend it on objects or things that you know lose value over time. Even like a car, like car is not an investment like that. The, you know, sure, you're going to enjoy the ride, but it's something that keeps appreciating over time. It's not going to increase your, you know, finances in the future. It's only going to depreciate. So definitely put your money where you feel like there could be a good outcome. Or let's just say you're into nails. Boom. Start, go start an Instagram. Start taking a picture of these nails. If you have to invest in a class or beauty class to learn the nails, do the damn thing or eyelashes and then make that initial investment. And then maybe you could come up positive in the future. It's just being creative. Like it's 2020, the internet's at its mature peak. Like there's so much opportunity for growth. You just have to step outside that bu bubble, that comfort zone. And of course, like just go against the, the norm, right? Like you don't have to go to school to get a degree if that's not your choice. You could try other things. There's other avenues. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in. Hope you guys learned a lot. Hope you guys learned something about processed foods. Beware of processed foods just because it's a meatless burger doesn't mean it doesn't have the same additives or antibiotics or chemicals added to it as, you know, like your typical beef. So make sure you guys are eating healthy. Watch out for the high sodium. Watch out for those unnecessary ingredients. And guys, save your money. Pay off your loans. Pay off your hand credit cards. Put some money in the bank. Get a fund going. Yeah. Stay financially stable, guys. And those that are 
Patreon fans. We're about to hit up the after hours. Those that are not aware, every single episode we go into after hours, we kind of talk off topic. We kind of talk some shit. We could swear a little bit. We could talk about more in-depth topics that we can't really share on the air. So if you're listening, we're going to start having Patreon content. Make sure you sign up. We'll post a link. It's a dollar to support us. We would appreciate that because it helps us grow and reinvest money into the podcast. And if you spend like five bucks or something, we're going to have exclusive content for you guys. We're going to do some giveaways there. PD might take his shirt off. Anything's possible. Everything's game. So we'll see you guys next week. See you guys. Have a good one.